So hi, everyone, and welcome back to the fourth episode of the podcast with Ashley and Kelly. So previously, we were joined with Supreet, a medical office manager, to discuss senior in the world of virtual health. Today, we are shifting gears to investigate Dr. Singel's journey in discovering cortical health technologies. Dr. Singel is a very reputable family doctor from West Houston Medical Clinic in Richmond, B.C., who has been practicing for over 25 years. Um, so thanks for joining us today, Dr. Singel. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I've been in medical practice. Uh, you, uh, I've been reminded for at least a quarter century, so that seems like a little bit of time. Um, I used to do, I'm a family doctor, and I used to do different areas of, of consultancy, GP called GP consultancy practice in different areas. And at least for 21 years, I've been running a group family practice uh, slash walk-in. And um, so we've always been a very busy practice. And um just we have multiple doctors and we cover for one another. We see each other's patients and uh, we do longitudinal long-term care and provide uh, uh, hopefully best practices. Uh, as a principal physician, I've supervised a few physicians. Um, <laughs> I've been offered a second cup of coffee, I think. But anyways, uh, which I haven't finished the first. Thank you, though. Uh, <laughs> um, the, uh, so yeah, it's a very good uh, family practice and a group of us, and um, and we've adapted to the new changes with the pandemic and and how we've uh, how we've come about to do things. Uh, Doctor Singel, I just wanted to say thank you for you know providing such quality you know patient care you know throughout the years. Um, you know, you just mentioned the pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that your practice and yourself has faced you know during these difficult times? Uh, it's a very oh yeah you bring back a lot of memories now it was about uh we had just ended a, a lease in our with our uh practice we had about 1200 square feet for six five six practitioners we had another space where we had midwives um and that was a very small space that we ended our lease january 31st 2020 and so for february 2020 and potentially march 2020 we were doing everything we could to see patients say it. Some of us would be in on a Saturday. Some would be in on a Sunday. Three of us would be in on Monday and three of us would be in a Friday. So we could just use the space we had. So we could just kind wow. of all use it. And, and in addition to midwives. So there was about seven odd practitioners using this small space. And then the lockdown sort of thing happened where it was, you know what? Uh, you cannot come face to face. You must do telehealth. And I have to actually commend the doctors of BC. They've done just a tremendous, fantastic job in encouraging telehealth, uh, developing tools, giving us uh, the wherewithal to to kind of, uh, well, you know, this is how we're going to have to do it. And, and with good reason, so that we could keep the, the COVID numbers down and this sort of thing while seeing patients. And the reality is, is that um, a large part of medical diagnosis is asking the right questions, is taking mm -hmm. a proper history. And um, it, yes, we do need to do physical exam at times. We do need to see things at times and touch and feel and listen and what have you. But I think other tools have developed from then till now that has allowed us to, to do that in a safe way 
Now, at this stage, um, November 2021, uh, there is some lifting, and over the last number of months, we are seeing patients more in person, but definitely telehealth is a large percentage of how we see patients. Um, so it's uh, it, it was a lifesaver in terms of our practice, in terms of the, the only silver lining of this awful pandemic was that the small space we had could accommodate so many practitioners because of telehealth and we're developing some other office space so we, we will have that soon <laughs> but it's due to those construction delays it's got us through all of this yeah so i guess it's interesting that you brought up the the timing of when the pandemic started because as it's as the pandemic started in the beginning of the year things are probably many many clinics and um other companies as well are rolling out new things, but it kind of interrupted from the get-go. And so um, I just kind of wanted to uh, get to know a little bit about your first experience using telehealth. Was it at the start of the pandemic or have you been using telehealth prior to the pandemic? That's, that's a really good question. Um, so let's go back two years, two years ago, November 2019, I would have done zero telehealth in November 2019, prior to the pandemic. Um, and I don't think much, many were doing it at all. I mean, there was some, but really not a lot. Um, the pandemic uh, was a great catalyst for telehealth, if anything positive can be said about it. Um, so initially we started with Doxy and me or Doxy or what have you. Um, and then the, the doctors of BC advised us uh, Hey, we've got uh, encrypted Zoom for you. So a high-end sort of Zoom. So it certainly started to use some Zoom, although I was very comfortable on the telephone. I mean, I've, I've known patients for 20 years and um, I've known the families for a very long time period. So it wasn't a large um, kind of undertaking to just listen to the intonation of a tone on, this, on the phone. And I can kind of see a facial expression <laughs> while I'm listening. So, I mean, largely just from a, from a, you know, a, a ergonomic perspective, the phone is an easier tool. And, and I guess there's other things that have rolled out. So just that the practicalities. So in other words, I don't even use a, initially I was using a phone with a star 67 so that people wouldn't know my personal number. Uh, then it was Fongo works. So we all have on Fongo works the voice over internet protocol with a message on it. So the patient misses your call, they can dial that number, but they won't be calling you personally, which would be very interruptive and not practical. So they will have our office number. So our staff will then be able to speak to the, the patient. So there's a, a bunch of things there technology wise that occurred very quickly. The doctors at BC also encouraged SR fax. So we've used that and integrated that with our uh, EMR. So we can fax prescriptions, fax requisitions, uh, do all those sorts of things that you would think and initially, well, hey, you have to be in person, you have to hand that to you. Um, also um, for dermatology things, for instance, email emails of um, your photos or email of different sort of things and upload it into the chart. If we couldn't use Zoom, if we couldn't, for whatever reason, and we wanted multiple pieces of information, that started to happen. Uh, I have an app now called DermCam, where it's like a text. If I call you and I'm, you're wondering how can I assess you, your dermatological issue or your cosmetic issue or whatever, 
uh, hey, there's, how would you do that over the phone? Well, you do it with a text and you can take a picture or I can Zoom you or whatever, or, you know, other platforms within Cortico, which I have yet to use, but hopefully we'll be using at some point. Um, but it's, uh, but all those sorts of things have allowed, uh, if you'd asked me two years ago, how would you do it? I would have been wondering how would we do it within um, really a very short time period, probably two to four months we, all these tools have been developed where it's just, hey, this is the new normal of how we do things. And that, and it's surprising just how much can be done through telehealth versus in person. And it's largely the patient who may not get it that, oh, I, I've got a some whatever condition, I need to be seen in person. Well, yes and no. Um, you can't do procedures over the phone. You can't do, you know, a, digital rectal exam or pap smear or breast exam or whatever over the phone. But uh, for a lot of the other things you can. And, um, and we, and of course, if it's, if something isn't measuring up, then you want to bring them in anyways, if you really have to, you'll do that and out of safety and, and so on. So we work in a group. So we do have the luxury of having a doctor on site in person every day. Uh, so if we do need to see someone in person, we have that ability to do that. So, you know, that's that's really good to know, um, Dr. Single. Now, you know, not every single doctor, you know, could be tech savvy. And, uh, you know, there are numbers of practitioners, you know, all over Canada that are still kind of kind of hesitant on using telehealth. Um, is there any words that you could encourage, you know, these, you know, practitioners on, you know, starting to use telehealth? Oh, yeah. Um, I, uh, the feedback that we get, and I have uh, practitioners, um, who are like 12 years older than me and 12 years younger than me and all, all in between. And um, the, uh, the learning curve isn't that steep. I mean, it's not that difficult. I mean, I, I think the days of the solo practitioner are like the dodo bird. I mean, they're not going to be, if they are out there and doing it, I don't think that's going to last long. They, you need to have a group where a lot of the technology, and you need to have the right kind of tools like with anything and um, the the tools that are in existence are not is not rocket science to learn I mean there's I would say within two to three months our our infrastructure was reasonably set uh, in terms of being able to do some degree of telehealth um, the practitioners who are not doing that, I just wonder what the hesitancy is or like what is the what is the roadblock or stumbling block to get there some of it Go ahead. Sorry. Do you think, Dr. Single, that is it more of a security thing or is it more so that um, is it more so that the, their patients like, I mean, there's geriatric doctors, you know, worried about their geriatric patients yeah. um, you know, not being tech savvy. So, you know, there's some hesitance on that as well. That's very true. I mean, the, the patient base has to also be comfortable with the whole concept. And so the, it is a two-way street, right? I mean, you both have to kind of feel comfortable. So a lot of patients will be, why weren't we doing this 10 years ago? I mean, do we say we have great access of healthcare in Canada? Yes and no, we do, but you have to take half a day off of your work. You have to go find parking. You have to kind of wait in the waiting area uh, versus for a lot of things, you could be called on the phone and a lot of what you need to do could be done uh, without interrupting your whole day. Mm -hmm. um, and I think 
there are times uh, like with anything that um, in a per you can't have everything perfect all the time. I mean, so there are some, especially right. I mean, it depends on the type of practice you do. If you're doing a geriatric practice, um, you want to, and you want to do a complete physical exam. Well, yes, you've got to have that person in front of you for, for many things. And we don't, and we don't, there are technical tools that allow you to uh, have a, you know, listen to the heart sounds and things like that. We don't use them. We don't incorporate them. They were around with um, a previous company was trying to do this years ago uh, to have um, virtual care, which never really took off prior to the pandemic. But um, what we, what we're doing now, um, I mean, the hesitancy has to do a little, you're right. It has to do a bit with the patient and a bit with the practitioner. And I think, uh, again, if you'd asked me two years ago, I would have been saying something entirely different after, but after two years of kind of doing a lot of this and developing more tools, uh, things like DermCam and other things where we're not compromising safety, the feedback I get is largely 90 plus percent that telehealth is the, we should have done it before. But that's from the patients. Mm -hmm. And from the physicians is also Hey, this is really a good thing. We, why aren't, why haven't we been doing this sooner? Um, there's, um, there's times I think where, of course, with the pandemic is another variable here where the, the adaptation of how you used to do things to how you're doing things now might be a little different as well. Whereas if someone's right in front of you, it doesn't take much to say, well, okay, let's examine this or this, right? And, when you're doing it remotely or from telehealth, you have to try to think a little bit uh, and coordinate to see somebody to examine them. And that's, that's probably a little bit of a workflow difference. And I would hope and think we're not compromising anything in, a, in every scenario by coming to that decision point that um, this can be done in a virtual way. This cannot be done in a virtual way. So, a good, exa- a good example is for um, dermatological things uh, where many will think, well, how on earth can you do that uh, over the phone? I'll use, I used to initially use email to get pictures sent because the phones now that everybody has, almost everybody has, there, there might be like a handful of people who don't have email, a handful of people who don't have a smartphone. And for them, there's other ways if it were, but the vast majority of people do have email and smartphones. So, um, Dermcam at point of care, text a picture to me right away. And Cortico does have a video link as well that, that, that can be ha- helpful, uh, or Zoom or whatever that, uh, that can be used. Um, and then if not, well, look, I need to see you in person. And you do have, we do have, I have to, I have to have you come in, uh, or one of my colleagues will see you. And it's an emergent matter. We'll see you today or tomorrow, uh, you know, in our, in whatever setting that may be. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Kelly, do you want to ask um, how long he's been using Cortical for and how it differentiates from other platforms? You have to remind me how long I've been using it for. So like half a year or so, or how long? Six months. Okay. Yeah, Aaron was saying half a year or so. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. Yeah, he's in the background here. Okay. <laughs> so Kelly can ask this question. He's the one who brought me tea for on top of my coffee. One second here. No, we take your time. So then, Kelly, I'll, I'll wrap it I'm up. A, I'm a caffeine junkie, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see here. Here you go. There you go. Thanks. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, so perfect. Um, so how long have you been using Cortico, Dr. Single? 
I believe it's been about half a year now and uh, very, very nice tool. Um, what we were using prior uh, for o- the online booking has been really, really, really nice. That um, at the workflow that I would have is typically when I see a patient and I need to do a follow-up, I would physically, as a practitioner, move the patient, say, oh, I'm going to book, well, let's book you in here. The feedback would be, some, often would be, uh, well, I've got dance rehearsal that day and that time, and can I move it here or something like that? It's so much, I mean, that all that adds up. And so it's nice to, you know, and it's nice also for our staff not to go through that process to kind of have a patient, you know, just say, or just to say, look, rebook with me in two weeks or something. Just go on, go to our website and go online and, and do that. And, and so that saves the practitioner's time and it saves the staff's time. And it, and it, it just, you know, it's just an exceptional uh, use. It streamlines things very well. Dr. Uh, Single, what differentiates um, cortical from, you know, some of the past telehealth uh, services that you were using in the past? You're talking about for online booking. For online. online booking, yeah. So for the 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 nice thing about Cortico is that from what we were using prior, uh, didn't require staff to um, uh, to kind of okay the patient. So that would be a tremendous staffish staffing issue. So Cortico is much easier. Patients can do everything themselves, and they don't have to have the staff okay it. And so that there's a huge bottleneck with the previous sort of scenario and the patient can register themselves with cortical which is even better yes that's correct so any booking of appointments counseling appointments um and also like you said if they're new patients and they want to kind of start a new file at your clinic then that is definitely um an option as well um another thing that i wanted to mention was uh do you think cortical is a customizable platform for your clinic? Um, I, I think it is. Uh, we've got uh, a psychiatrist with us and then a family doctor who is part of a program, a government program that where they book patients differently. A P, it's called a PCN or primary care network program. And the needs are different for them compared to the regular fee-for-service family doctor. And even there's subtle differences between myself, who's usually fully booked with appointments and my colleague who might have more openings and might have more of a walk-in basis or can absorb the walk-in practice, we just have different styles and different things that we're doing. And so I guess to an extent, the things, so to reflect those needs, uh, I believe we've worked with Cortico to try to to, to more customize uh, solutions to those issues. Amazing. Uh, Did you want to ask about the stream of communication, Kelly? Yes, I just kind of wanted to ask about uh, one last thing I wanted to ask was regarding um, you were just kind of saying that, you know, especially with virtual health, communicating with patients is very, very um, is key because you can't really see them in person. Um, so what do you think about uh, streamlined communication um, that Cortico has to offer? Um, so, I mean, I think uh, there's a few things. Um, I think I, I think some things are a bit in development uh, in terms of the email. At a practical level, uh, what you'll want to do, your workflow is often you'll want to get um, 
some type of an assessment. And the first thing is, I mean, if, can you do that without seeing somebody? Therefore, telephone or what have you, the oldest, you know, telecommunication. Um, uh, then the decision is uh, if you're if you're wanting video, which uh, so you can see someone through video through the cortical platform, or or whatever. There's other video platforms, but you, if that can be incorporated. But a one a one platform will be better than a six platforms that you're working with in the in the day. So um, what I really find exciting is the email uh, development in terms of emailing requisitions. So I think that's so that would be you know X-rays, lab requisitions, um, I, I fax uh, things to the hospital like CT scans, MRIs, etc. It would be nice also to email patients those requisitions and or whatever, you know, but that we would fax there so that if they have it, then if they want to follow up, they can follow up. So our staff, you know, that sort of thing. And so that's, I, I'm looking forward to the email uh, components really working better uh, or, or, or being developed rather to work in a, in a workflow pattern. And um, that's exciting. And I hope that comes to fruition. Um, so what else am I thinking here? The, yeah, the video parts of it, and maybe Kelly remind me some of the other components that we might be thinking of here. All the bells and whistles, Kelly, let them know. <laughs> so Dr. Single, you know, some clinics that, um, you know, are not using cortical, is there any, you know, encouraging words you can say um, that can encourage uh, clinics to start using cortical? Yeah, I mean, we've been very happy. Um, I think, uh, there's a lot of services that Cortico offers that, uh, and, and in the uh, marketplace maybe is positioned to do things, uh, in a certain way that would be very, uh, beneficial. I'd mentioned about the, you know, the, 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 um, online booking, first of all, is the bread and butter. And not every, not every EMR system has an online booking system. And we've had that with previous EMRs. Um, the, uh, we changed providers and, uh, and then with the, other provider wasn't it was not their forte and that was a fairly there's only a few oscar service providers right now but uh the uh cortico uh, has a really fairly robust uh ability to to lessen staffing staff involvement so you know a patient can book themselves can move things around uh that frees up staff time to do other more important things if it were Hopefully, uh, to make the telephone appointment booking a thing of the past. If we can free up our staff to not answer the phone, not go through, um, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes of just to try to book an appointment, someone looking at their calendar, flipping the pages open and what have you, that's a win, right? That's a win for everybody. And, um, so that's, that's right off the bat. If that can be accomplished and accomplished well, um, with minimal staff involvement and minimal time, that's what the advantage of cortical would be. It's saving, saving staff time and saving practitioner time. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's a win on, on all fronts. Um, and then the tools that are involved with cortical being integrated with the uh, EMR, uh, sending requisitions, doing things that automates the system. So the current system would be a lot of practitioners, especially for multi-practitioner offices, would uh, rely on the staffing that they would be tick- sending a tickler or a message, 
can you email out this and this and this to the patient? Can you follow up this here and here? Uh, that takes a lot of staffing time and that interrupts a lot of the workflow as well. So if that can be automated uh, and function well, uh, you know, that's, that's a no brainer as well. Mm-hmm. That's kudos to cortical as well, because that would, um, that does uh, allow staff to do other things that they, they do that a lot of practitioners don't see, know what staff are doing. Like, yeah, you know, there's the front end work. There's the back end work. I'm speaking like a manager now, but the yeah. the, uh, the 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 front front end work is uh, what people see. You know, what are you doing? You're answering the phones. Patients are calling. You're emailing or faxing requisitions. You're trying to book an appointment. In reality, a few clicks of a mouse ought to take care of a lot of those sorts of things. Whether do you, do you, do you, Dr. Single, do you think that um, you know? You know, I was looking at some, you know, statistics, you know, recently uh, with Kelly and there's a high percentage of um, staff burnout, MOA burnout, um, you know, frontline workers burnout. Like, And it, it's, you know, taking a toll on a lot of people's mental health. You know, choosing cortical, do you, do you think you prevented a lot of staff burnout for your front staff? I think I think it's uh, it's definitely helpful because in terms of lessening the day to day challenges, I mean, but it piles up, right? Stuff piles up if there's mm-hmm. five, six practitioners, they're all asking staff to email this or fax that. Um, that becomes 300 requests if that, yeah. or to book appointments. And that, that adds up as well. So, I mean, the, the key word I would say is asynchronous. If we can make things from synchronous to asynchronous, meaning um, we don't have to have 20 phone calls Monday morning, 9 a.m. or 50 or 100 phone calls, 9 a.m. If you can spread that out, like, look, this is not urgent or emergent. Can we do this by email or other means or do a few mouse clicks? If it adds up, if it can't be done today, it can be done tomorrow. Uh, when there's time to do it, when there's not a busy phone rush or busy in-person session, that's just good management. And that's good use of time and use of staff mm-hmm. time. And so I would say aiming towards making those tasks more efficient and more asynchronous uh, when we don't need to do synchronous. We don't have to all have it all synchronously done, if that makes any sense. So I mean, cortical is a good tool to to try to hopefully achieve that. Awesome. So in the beginning, you mentioned, um, you know, practitioners should have started using telehealth earlier. What do you think the future has in hold uh, for virtual health. Okay, let's go back historically a little bit. Before the pandemic, um, if there were billing codes to use telehealth, um, they were not well known. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a, at a practical level, um, the uh, the billing codes and so on were such that uh, in person visits were much the norm, and the culture just wasn't there. Um, the pandemic has been a catalyst to show us. Hey, there, you know, there is a better mousetrap. There is a better way to do things. Um, so the, the, um, the author, authorizing bodies or colleges or so on, uh, have their own mandates in terms of the public. And there's certain members of the public will want, Hey, no, I want to, I'm, I'm retired. I don't mind. I want to come in in person. And I don't know how any of this, I, I don't know how an email works. I don't know how to use a smartphone or what have you. And um, 
I, I just, I want to handwrite a letter to you. And I mean, the, the technology is there where we don't, we don't use that, you know, telegraph anymore. We don't, um, we don't use smoke signals, right? We use, we use technology for what we have. We've got um, emails and even that is, we've got texts on our different apps that we can communicate, you know, images and things like that in an instant. So the, uh, the reality is technology is developed. Um, we have the means and the tools that weren't around uh, maybe five years ago even. Um, and so I, I can't help but think when technology has been advanced to this degree, uh, why, are we, why would we purposefully say, uh, no, we shouldn't use it in healthcare? So we, we were one of the first to use electronic medical records in 2005. We had, developed wow. own, we had developed our own medical records. Mm -hmm. um, at that time, um, so that was different than any of the major producers. This was, a, I mean, we had people who were doing it with us, but, um, you know, I, I'm sure it was very custom, a customized electronic medical record system. And I think some people, if they weren't familiar with it, they would need training to, to use it and things like that. But it was a no-brainer. I mean, this was this is a technology that was used in the airline industries, that was used in banking and all reputable industries. And why on earth was I was were we seeing um, people using paper and charts and walls filled up with um, charting that you'd need three people to find it and give it to you? Um, so our right from the start, 2005, I'd say, is when we started uh, with electronic records. Um, people would look at me funny, say, how on earth can you have two, two staff to support so many practitioners? Well, uh, well, they're not hunting for paper records. <laughs> they're, not, they're not then trying to file the papers in that way. Um, you know, even when we were building our office, the architect was pointing at me and laughing and saying, well, why are you, um, why do you have such little chart space? You realize that you need six times the amount of charts. You space. need a library. Yeah, and exactly. And I was saying, well, <laughs> let's make sure we have data jacks in every room. Let's make sure that we're networked. What's network? Or, you know, I mean, or something like that. I mean, that, uh, but yeah, there were, you know, there was some laughter at the, at the beginning. But now, of course, everybody is using electronic medical records and it would be unusual. I mean, we see it still. There are practitioners who are using paper records who just started retiring and they're sending their paper records to us because we take on their patients. And oh, we yeah, down the yeah, you know, um, I would say sometime in 2000, going back historically, sometime in 2007 is when we started shredding all the paper. So we, you know, whatever little space was there was actually starting, to, the architect might've been partly right because they were starting to get filled up. <laughs> and so, but we scanned it all and then um, shredded it all. And so we cleared it all out. And so we had more than ample space. And so now, um, you know, people, a lot of my colleagues wonder, how do you, how do you have, practitioners with this much space well it's all computerized it's all digitalized and you know there's there's robust backup systems there's all these sorts of things um and, but everyone i think is now doing it it's not a foreign concept to have electronic medical records i would say 80 90 percent are doing it now right um but then there's that that why, why i go there is that there's other tools that are there now too and including online booking including aut other automation and you're right the frontline workers in healthcare are burnt out. It is a challenging job. It's a very challenging job to be a medical office assistant. And anyone who says, oh, that's brainless work or easy work or whatever, doesn't know the system. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Patients are very demanding. They're very worried. They're very, um, uh, you know, and maybe they should be, maybe they shouldn't be, but the communication levels between practitioners, patients, and then it all somehow can move towards the medical office assistant in terms of that worry. And so tools and systems have to be in place to efficiently and reasonably communicate uh, with patients. And if, you know, kind of touched on this, if there's 50 people trying to call 9 a.m. or, you know, with some, in their mind, urgency, uh, if that can be done in a much better way where it can be asynchronous and we can address their concerns through communication, uh, whether that be... um, here, you can book an appointment this way, speak to the physician, just with a few mouse clicks, um, and their issue is being resolved or assessed. I, you know, that's, that's lessening the burden of burnout on the staff, as well as the practitioners. And, uh, you know, it reduces tension, and it, redu- and it makes it a more harmonious, easy way to, to function. So I, I hope I'm answering your question. Am I, am I doing so? Yes. Kelly, you're going to wrap it up, right? Yes. I mean, by all means, ask a follow-up if I somehow evaded the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It was, it was great. You're doing awesome. You're doing awesome. Really good. You need yeah, to be on wanted... TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to kind of um, add that definitely technology is – technology and all these innovations are, are – um, it's kind of like a blessing in disguise because in terms of kind of building more of these technologies, that means we are bringing more efficiency. However, we need to kind of pay attention to like the, the mental health and well-beings of these frontline workers like you and the staffs at your clinic. And so from the kind of era of phone appointments and now to video appointments and kind of more of these appointments kind of growing, um, Cortico really, really values a healthy clinic environment. So whether that is reducing the number of phone calls, that can, we believe that that reduces stress on MOAs and doctors as well. So kind of creating a manageable uh, clinic environment where it's even I think these phone phone rings and phone calls affect patients as well in the waiting room. So um, definitely a li- little, all these things really add up in kind of creating a um, healthy or unhealthy clinic environment. And so, yes, um, Ashley, did you have anything else to add? All right, Ashley, do you have anything else to add? Uh, no, I think that Dr. Single uh, covered all of our key points today, and uh, I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time out uh, to sit down with us today to discuss, um, you know, virtual health. And uh, Kelly, did you have anything to add? No, I think we're good. It was a pleasure speaking with you, Dr. Single, and thanks for, ev- thanks for everyone for watching, and see you in the next podcast. Bye. Thank you, Dr. Single. Thank you, then. Bye.